Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia O'Donnell. Before you get into the pod today, we just wanted to put a trigger warning on this episode. We speak in depth about eating disorders and mental health. If you feel like this isn't the time for you to listen to such convos, skip this episode and come back to us next week. Welcome back to the Femi Pod for episode number 41. This week we have a very special guest with us and someone that is already on the Femi team, our coach, Miriam Dowie. Miriam is an extremely confident and powerful female athlete as well as a nurse and an activist, running her first marathon at the age of 16 to raise money for Syria's humanitarian crisis. Since then, Miriam has run the Capri Marathon to raise awareness for Cancer Council Tasmania and most recently undertaking the Run for Kids Everest Challenge, in which Miriam ran the Point to Pinnacle course, also known as the world's hardest half marathon, every day for seven days to raise money for childhood cancer. The elevation gain at the end of the challenge was equivalent to Mount Everest. As you can probably tell, Miriam is an absolute go-getter, and we can't wait to hear more of Miriam's story today. Welcome to the pod, Miriam. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, yeah, um, it's such a great privilege to be part of the family crew and um, I really appreciate um, today's invitation. Thank you. We, we appreciate you being here with us, Miriam. Thank you so much for your time. And I think we just want to share a little bit more of your story with the listeners. And you moved to Tassie when you were 10 from Morocco. How was that transition at that age to Australia and how do you think it has impacted who you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was originally born in Morocco, um, in Casablanca. So I moved to Australia when I was four um, and me and my family moved to Sydney. So I was in Sydney for a few years. And then um, in 2009, we moved to Tasmania. Um, I think there was a bit of a um, cultural shock (laughs) between um, those transitions, especially moving from Sydney to Tassie. In Sydney, um, I went to Auburn Public School. Um, it was a multicultural um, environment. There were kids who also wore their headscarf and I could relate to them and I felt, you know, um, quite included in the community. But when I moved to Tasmania 2009, um, I did grade five and six um, at primary school. I was the only girl that wore the headscarf there and unfortunately that attracted a lot of bullying um and that sort of led to me having really low self-esteem and then that sort of followed me along to grade 10 where things got really bad I had kids that would call me a terrorist or uh, I just felt really um isolated and as I said my self-esteem was really really low um unfortunately I think that sort of it wasn't the only factor, but it was definitely a major factor that um, played a role in me to developing um, uh, eating disorder, multiple eating disorders, um, depression and anxiety. Um, but looking back at my experience, I'm very grateful because I've had that lived experience um, of different challenges and different mental illnesses. Um, and with the work that I currently do, as a family coach and a nurse, um, I'm able to have a bit of empathy with my patients and some understanding of what they might be going through. Everyone's 
experience of a mental illness is very individual and it's not the same, but I have an open mind and an open heart. And, um, yeah, I think it's really important that we start talking more about mental health um, and not make it a taboo subject. Mm. You've had so many challenges in your life, but it's so amazing to hear you speak about gratitude and like turning these challenges into something that you're grateful for because you're able to take those learnings and help other people, especially through the work you do as a nurse, but also with us at FEMI. So your outlook on life is just so positive and it's really inspiring to hear you speak with us and and your story is just so incredible and we're so proud to have you on our team. And what was it that really like got you into running? Like what was that running journey? What has it been like for you and what got you started into running? Yeah, um, so... As I previously mentioned, um, in my first, so in grade seven, I had a really bad fallout um, with the high school that I went to um, due to bullying um, and my mental health. So then um, my doctor actually suggested that I go to a different high school and I went to an all-girls school called Ogilvy High and I met a really good friendship group there and one of my friends was really into um, running and every year Ogilvy High School um, makes a um, group of, of girls um, and we enter um, a local fun run called the City to Casino Fun Run and my friend entered and she's like, Miriam, you should enter as well. It's going to be lots of fun. And I'm like, oh, but I'm not a runner. I'm not feeling enough. I can't run 7Ks without stopping. And um, But she's like, you know, just have fun with it. Um, so with a bit of hesitation, I actually signed up and I'm very glad I did. Um, I fell in love with the atmosphere because at the start line, I saw people from all walks of life. There were kids, there were parents, um, there were, you know, young people, there were um, people in their 80s. um, And, yeah, everyone was just out and trying their best, whether they were walking or running. And, yeah, it was such a good atmosphere. And I um, really surprised myself because I managed to run the whole way without stopping and then when I crossed that line I don't know I just felt so proud of myself and I was like in complete shock I was like if I manage to prove those doubts wrong then what else can I achieve with running um and yeah it really helped me and um helped my confidence and my self-identity as well wow so how long have you been running for now Miriam how many years is that yeah so that would probably be um around 10 years now Awesome. You've done so well. You're an absolute machine. <laughs> Can't wait to see you run Melbourne Bear and absolutely crush it. Um, but yeah, you touched on it a little bit before about, you know, your coaching with the with the girls at Finney mm-hmm. and we're obviously so lucky to have you on our team, like I'd said before. But what do you think you've learned from your time being a coach about yourself and then also, you know, helping women pursue their running goals in a holistic way? Do you think that's impacted you as well as the coach of these athletes? Absolutely. Femi has definitely changed my way of viewing training and running and creating a healthier relationship with my body and myself. Um, It's really taught me how to work with my body rather than against it Um, and having an understanding of the female physiology and how it can actually affect our mood, our energy levels, our recovery, and then using that to my advantage and to other athletes advantage to help with their training so you know before Femi and before having an understanding of what my hormones had on my um, energy levels and my training 
I didn't understand that, you know, on the late luteal phase, as we all know, um, which is um, a few days before your period, you feel, you know, those PMS symptoms, you're tired, um, you're a bit moody, you might have some cramping um, and you feel like, oh, there's something wrong with me and this and that, and you don't understand that it's actually associated with a change or fluctuation in your hormones, um, which is why you're feeling that way. And having that understanding, I'm able to um, adapt that to my own training as well as my athletes' programs. So during the luteal and late luteal phase, it's a major focus on um, recovery and taking it really easy and listening to your body. And then on um, your first day of your cycle, you actually have more energy, you're able to do a bit more, um, and you can use also use that to your advantage. So you can add add a bit more harder training sessions um, because your body can actually recover faster and use up glycogen a lot more, which is quite fascinating. I think it's so amazing how the human body works um, and how we can actually use that to our advantage as well. And most importantly, um, it's addressing um, red syndrome, so reduced um, energy deficiency syndrome, which I've experienced myself. Um, yeah, so with my eating disorder and um, not, you know, fueling properly. Um, I lost my period for over four years and it was very, you know, taxing on my body. My bone density was reduced quite significantly and my doctors were very concerned. Um, but through, you know, proper nutrition and recovery and um, focusing on getting my mental health better, I was able to regain my period and I hope I can give hope to other girls um, and women out there who might be going through a similar thing that um, recovery is possible um, and, you know, disordered eating or an eating disorder does not define you as a person. You might have it, but it's not you. You don't, you know, for example, if you have COVID, you don't say, um, I am COVID. You say, I have COVID, such as, um, same thing with an eating disorder. You don't say, um, I am anorexic, you say I have anorexia. I think that's really important to think of it in that way because it's not you. You might have it, but it does not define you as a person and um, it does not, it shouldn't, you know, define you for the rest of your life either. Um, yeah, and I hope that I can help others who might be in that same boat. Mm. Can we talk a little bit more about your eating disorder if you feel comfortable to do so? Like, We'd love to understand. I know you mentioned a lot of those issues kind of came from the fact that you were being bullied and you were struggling with your own mental health. Do you know exactly what it was that drove you to restricting your diet? And then also, like, how did you come out the other side to be such a strong, confident female athlete now? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think, as I said, it's multifactorial. Um, research has shown that it can actually be genetics um and also it, i got it when i was 12 so at that age um you're going through puberty so that fluctuation in hormones also um increases that risk of um getting an eating disorder i'm also a type 1 diabetic and i remember at that time my control wasn't great because i would eat a lot of chocolate and i remember my you know doctors encouraging me to eat better and then that with that came um, the bullying and low self-esteem. And I've actually had people tell me, oh, you know, just skip lunch and you'll lose weight and you'll be so much better and this and that. And 
people did make comments about my body image and I think that just all um, spiralled into one thing and then one one night my head told me, hey, if you lose weight, all your problems will be fixed um, and that led to, you know, me um, not eating as much as I would usually eat or avoiding certain foods and, yeah, it just slowly creeped on to me and then before I knew it, I was in this downward spiral um, and I remember it all started when I was in Morocco with my family um, just visiting um, and having a holiday there and when I came back um, I went to an appointment which because I have um, checkups with my diabetes every three months and they saw that I lost a significant amount of weight and they were very concerned um, and from there I was admitted into hospital for three months it was really hard um, and yeah it's just been a really long journey um, recovery is not linear there's lots of ups and downs and relapses um, and yeah with the anorexia it then developed into binge eating and then bulimia which oh um sorry getting a bit emotional that was really hard um it because I've never really spoken openly about it because I've always had so much shame but no one chooses to have this illness and um I hope someone who are, who might be going through this as well can understand that you're not alone and that you can get better from it and things there is light at the end of that tunnel I remember just being in this horrible cycle where my days were just consumed by food um, and I was so depressed. I, I, no, I couldn't even run anymore. I didn't see any gratitude or any hope anymore and I would just buy food all the time and my eating cycles were absolutely horrible. My diabetes control was not good. My health was on the decline. Um, even financially, this is so embarrassing, but, you know, sometimes I literally had $1 in my account because all my money would go towards food. Um, and not just writ past few months, I've actually managed to get into a healthy stage where I've stopped those behaviours um, and I've focused my, t my time and my energy on healing myself. Never, And I never, ever thought that I could actually manage this long without going into those behaviours, but I have. And I hope that um, I've, I hope that this can prove to others who might be going through this right now that you can get better and you can live a life without this horrible illness. Um, yeah, sorry, <laughs> a bit emotional there. But I'm so sick of it being such a taboo subject. And right now my head is telling me, oh, you're going to get judged because you've just shared this openly to everyone. But I didn't choose to have an eating disorder. Um, and it's not something that you choose into your life, but it shouldn't be something that defines you. And I hope that um, my words can give you some encouragement or some hope that you can take those steps to getting better um, and living your life. And because you deserve that, you deserve to live life to the fullest. You deserve to eat food and enjoy it and move your body, not to burn calories, but to be strong and to feel empowered and to experience the world that we live in um yeah so I guess that's a bit 
I probably went on a bit of a tangent there. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. Thank you. Like your vulnerability is inspiring. And I just, we are so grateful that you can open up and speak about your experiences because you are going to help so many people. And there is no judgment, honestly. We just like appreciate that you are able to tell us your story because it's powerful. And to see the woman that you are now and that you've become going through so many challenges, it's very, very inspiring. You have no idea how incredible you are. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. It's so true. And you opening up about it, I guarantee there's going to be so many girls listening who have gone through similar or are going through at the moment. Like I was tearing up because when you're talking about going and spending heaps of money on food, I did that too. Um, And because I had, I had bulimia as well after anorexia. So yeah, crying as well. And I appreciate you being so honest. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much. I think you're going to help so many people. So yeah, that's why we're so lucky to have you in Femi because there is so many people that go through these similar things. And like you said, it's just not talked about. So thank you so much for being so honest. Yeah, I think it's really, really important to have an open conversation about this stuff Um, because at my lowest, I think I would have really appreciated being able to talk or just hearing someone else's story because, um, yeah, it gives you hope and it it makes you feel less alone as well. Um, And I think especially with bulimia, you associate it a lot with um, a lot of guilt and shame Um, and in all honesty it's you shouldn't feel that because it's not your fault it's an illness and that guilt and shame is not you it's it's the eating disorder so true and it can be really hard to like distinguish the two when you're deep in it and you you, like yeah so it's it's such a good way to think of it it's not you it's definitely the eating disorder um but yeah you've obviously come out of that and you're doing so well and and I'm sure that running has a part to play in that and it's such a tool for like helping with mental health and and overcoming issues but how do you think running and sport has helped you get through those challenging times and you know get you to where you are now yeah, um, running's played such an important role in my life, especially with my mental health, as you know. Um, it's been a constant, so it's always been there for me in my good days and my bad days. It challenges me physically and mentally. And um, when I'm having a really bad day and my head is telling me, you know, all of these negative thoughts come into my mind and I just go for a run and I prove all of those doubts and all of that negative energy wrong and I am able to focus on the present so instead of being lost in that subconscious mind in those dark thoughts running forces you to be in the present and to enjoy what's around you to appreciate you know the movement of your legs um, breathing in fresh air your heart rate you know you know what I mean (laughs) Um, so that's definitely something that's really really helped me and with running um, it also gives me time to reflect sort of like meditation um just being outside running along the beach hearing the waves um you know running past um people and saying hello and they say hello back and then it just gives you this really happy energy and um yeah I think it's such a positive positive thing in my life and I hope to continue running for as long as I can and sharing that positivity with others and yeah 
Well, you're just getting fitter and faster and stronger. So um, I'm pretty sure running is going to stick with you for a lot longer, which is very exciting. For anyone listening who might be suffering from an eating disorder, what do you wish you could have heard or what would, do you wish you could have told yourself when you were suffering that could potentially have changed the disorder you were suffering from? What is the, I guess, one or two things you wish you could have told yourself? Most importantly is um, being able to open up and finding a safe environment to talk to someone about what you're going through rather than trying to fight it on your own. Um, so talking with a family member or seeking professional help, I think is one of the first steps because when you're able to um, identify and realise that, hey, something's wrong um, and realise that this eating disorder is affecting you to the point where it's, um, you know, deteriorating your life and your quality of life, you will take those first steps to actually um, wanting to get better and um, wanting to um, start recovery. When you're able to initiate that recovery process, um, it's going to be a long, long journey, but it's so worthwhile, 110%. Um, And with each challenge that you go through, you know, when those thoughts tell you, hey, do this instead of that, don't eat that, but you push through anyway and you don't listen to them. You get stronger each time. Um, and when you break those, you know, bad behaviours or food habits, um, it does get easier. Even when your anxiety is really, really high and it's to the point where you're almost having a panic attack and your eating disorder is telling you, no, don't go out with your friends to enjoy that meal or this or that. Just do it. Do it and you will not regret it. Each time that I push past those thoughts and negative thoughts and I enjoy a meal with a friend or family member rather than um, sticking to my disordered eating habits. I, it is challenging, but it is so worthwhile because I'm actually um, enjoying food in that social gathering and I'm being present with my friends and my family and it gets easier over time. And yeah. And as I mentioned before, your eating disorder is not you. It's, you know, you're going through it but it should not define you as a person and you can recover from it. You know, sometimes I think you'd have to think of it like this. When you're really unwell, you know, the eating disorder is the master of you. But when you recover and when you're stronger, you are the master of the eating disorder. It might be in the back of your head. It might be in the background. But if you're able to, you know, stand up for yourself and able to have an understanding of when those eating eating disorder thoughts come along um, and you're able to push through them and work against them, then that is such an important um, stage to reach. And it's definitely possible for everyone who's going through it right now. I believe in, like, I believe in you because I once didn't believe in myself that I'd get to this stage, but I'm living proof that you can. Um, so yeah, never lose hope. Love that. So true. And we get it, we get quite a few messages at Femi about girls suffering. And I think that's them reaching out at that point, isn't it? Like wanting to speak about it and be open. And I think that's like beautiful in itself and that they have the courage to take that step, like you said, because it's such an important step to actually reach out for help because it means you want to get better or you know that something's not right. So yeah, that's such amazing advice. And I'm sure if anyone is listening, 
reach out to people. Um, don't go through this alone. But yeah, again, thank you for being so open. That was yeah, amazing. <laughs> um, so we're going to flip the script a little bit here. So obviously we're launching Femi Theory soon and we've got the wait list out and it's all really exciting. Um, but you know why we've done the course and why we've created the course and, and you're part of, you know, helping spread that education as a coach. And also, you know, you're a nurse as well. So you're working with multiple people in the, in the medical system as well. So it's something that we're all really passionate about, which is spreading education and the right education as well. Um, we just wanted to know like, what has your coaching history been like and what did your coaches instill or promote in you as a junior and a senior athlete? And have you ever seen anything, you know, that you think should have been different or said differently, or has it all been really positive and, you know, really positively um, influenced you as an athlete? Yeah. Um, for me, I have absolutely enjoyed my time being a Femi coach, um, working with my athletes um, and helping them establish their goals, but in a holistic manner. So it's not just focused on running. It's also about work-life balance um, and most importantly, following their cycle and adapting that their cycle to their training needs. Um, and, yeah, I think it's been such an empowering and um, something that I really am very grateful to um, be a part of in regards to my own training um, I've been coached previously in the past um, as a junior athlete, um, but all my coaches have been male um, and they obviously, they, in that sense, they did not really adapt or really spoke. I've not really spoken to them about my period and how it affects my training and vice versa. So once I actually gained more insight using Femi and the course that you guys have provided, it's helped me so, so much. Like it's made absolute game changer. And if we're able to spread that word to other um, male coaches and personal trainers um, so that they can provide and facilitate the right training to their female athletes, um, it, I think it's going to play a massive, massive role in helping women um, reach their full potential in sports and doing it in a safe manner and healthy manner as well and reducing um you know the potential and risk of red syndrome which is really important yeah we're pretty excited for the education to come out i think as you said like the idea about females reaching their potential and performance just hasn't been i don't think anywhere near what it could be you know with the right appropriate training for female physiology so it's so exciting um, that this course is coming to life and yeah, we can't wait to see the difference that it makes and not only the athletes' lives, but in the coaches' lives too. You know, it's time and time again, we see coaches working with athletes just not having the confidence to have conversations about menstrual cycles or body image or mental health. So being able to provide those insights to coaches, it's going to allow them to feel confident to have those conversations to the athletes as well. You mentioned earlier about your type 1 diabetes when did you find out you were a type one diabetic and how did you find out? And has this at all impacted you as a runner or an athlete? Yeah. Um, so I was diagnosed when I was seven. Um, and I remember I got it after being sick with the flu and I just became really lethargic, really thirsty all the time. Um, and this went on for weeks. I lost a lot of weight and my mum was very concerned. So I went to my GP and um, they did a few tests and found that I was type one diabetic. Um, yeah, so it's a chronic illness, so it's a, there's no cure. Um, and 
for me, I have to take insulin, which is a medication or an injection that I take each time I eat food because my body no longer produces insulin. Um, yeah, it's definitely impacted my running um, because obviously with running, you have to fuel and make sure your um, sugar levels are in within a normal range um, during the training episode as well. Um, yeah, it's always a bit of a balancing act, but it hasn't stopped me from racing or training. And it's actually helped me quite a bit because I'm more in tune with my body now. And, um, you know, before I run, I make sure I check my sugar levels and um, make sure I've eaten enough carbohydrates to sustain um, my training or my race. And yeah, adjusting my insulin to, um, you know, address my sugar levels if they're really high after a session or if they're really low making sure that I top up with more food yeah so it's for other type 1 diabetics you shouldn't let your condition stop you from achieving your goals or you know living life you just have to work around it um and yeah don't let it stop you (laughs) this might be a really naive question um but you obviously run marathons which is a long time to be out running for do you take gels? Like, is that how does that process work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely do take gels. Um, I usually take gels every forty minutes just to make sure that my sugar levels do not, you know, start dropping. Um, and I think even for non-diabetics, that's also really important. Um, so, and also just um, adjusting my insulin um, in the morning. So. For a type 1 diabetic, I take short-acting insulin, which works um, within three to four hours of taking it, and then long-acting, which works uh, for 24 hours. So I take the same amount of the short-acting, but just slightly reduce my long-acting insulin, which just means that when I'm racing that marathon, um, there's not a lot of background insulin that's potentially might make my sugar levels drop even more. Um, Yeah, but it's also really important that I don't make my sugar levels go too high. Otherwise, um, I will lose more electrolytes because my body um, is trying to get rid of the extra glucose in my system. So <laughs> it's a bit, yeah, it's um, many factors that um, play there. Wow, that's amazing. You, yeah, you've got a lot to think about apart yeah. from just running a marathon. You've got to do all that as well. Um, yeah. yeah, but it's really cool the way you speak about it and, you know, you don't let it hold you back at all and you've worked around it and you're, you know, running better than ever, which is, you know, very inspiring um, and very cool. But we wanted to dive a little bit into and talk to you about your faith. So as as a Muslim, we would love to learn more about your religion and how, if anything, it impacts your participation in sport and running. Yeah. Um, so my faith has played such an important, important role throughout my life. Um, it's helped me so much with my mental health and my running as well. Um, And I'm very proud of being um, a Muslim woman who's Moroccan and Australian. um, And, you know, at one point when, you know, as a teenager, I was bullied for my identity and I did question myself. And um, but no, I think running has actually helped me so much to be more proud of who I am and proud of my identity and my faith. Um, And. I've received a lot of support as well from the community in regards to that, which I really appreciate. And I hope that I can inspire other Muslim women out there to, you know, live your life and don't let, you know, comments 
um, from, you know, negative comments from others put you down and stop you from, you know, exercising or running or pursuing that job career that you've always wanted to do. At the end of the day, we are all human. We are all blood and bone. It doesn't matter what religion we're from, what culture we're from, what religion we're from. What matters the most is what's in the heart and what we do as people and our actions. Um, and we shouldn't let our differences, um, you know, be something that causes us to have conflicts. It should be something that actually empowers us and allows us to grow as a community and something that we can learn from and benefit from each other. Yeah, that's beautiful and exactly why we are so proud to have you as part of the team on FEMI is bringing your lived experiences to light and showing, you know, being an inspiration to all women to get out there and get after and chase their goals. It's, yeah, amazing. We're so lucky to have you. As you, you know, as you know, at FEMI, we're, and even throughout this conversation, we're always talking about female physiology and in particular menstrual cycles, a topic that has until recently been relatively taboo. As a Muslim, are these conversations even more unspoken and what impact do you think this is having on women? Yeah, um, definitely. I think it's probably more a cultural thing than a religious thing. Um, and everyone comes from a different culture and a different you know, family dynamics and that, um, as women, it should not be a taboo subject at all. Um, it's a natural process that we all go through and um, it's really important to be able to talk about it. Um, and I think the more we talk about it, the less taboo <laughs> it will become. Um, yeah. And it's something that we need to actually be proud of. Um, you know, our hormones are there to ensure that we're healthy and um, it's a sign that our body is at the healthy state and I think that is something that should be celebrated mm. yeah it is such a it's an interesting topic the um, cultural belief around menstrual cycles and and that being a taboo topic because it's such a, a suffering point for a lot of women and it being silent means that women suffer in silence um, potentially they have endometriosis but they would never talk about the fact they have really painful periods if it was you know something silent or it is it's such a hard topic because we understand you know cultural cultural beliefs are really important but it's also how do you balance that with looking after women or, or people who menstruate as well um very interesting topic but um we're going to dive into a little bit more about um your passion for helping people so much and like they'd said in the introduction you've done so much to raise money for for certain causes that are really dear to your heart and it's really awesome to see and you've done so many campaigns and yeah social passion projects but where do you think this empathy and compassion comes from yeah I think for me it probably comes from um I've always for me I just have so much compassion for others and when I feel really helpless and when I feel like I can't do anything, I feel like there must be something that I can do. And for me, my running and my uh, fundraising is a platform that I use um, to address those topics. Um, yeah. And even though I'm not fixing the problem or, you know, getting rid of a problem, at least I can raise awareness about it or support it and help contribute towards it. Um, yeah, and I think it's something that's helped me so much through my own challenges as well because when I was going through my own struggles, um, I received a lot of help 
from others and from the community and it made a world of a difference and I really want to give back to the community. Um, it's something that's really fulfilling for me and I hope to continue to do that. It's incredible. The work you do is so amazing and it's definitely like driving us at Femi to want to do more for the community and help others out through the act of running as well. So keep doing what you're doing. We're super proud of it. As mentioned, you are a nurse. Uh, you're an incredible athlete, a marathon athlete of all things. Takes up a lot of time, a coach, and a social justice warrior. How do you manage to balance all of this and make sure that you're looking after yourself and filling up your own cup? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's really important to take it each day as it comes and really listen to your body and your mind. So for me, sometimes I do have days where I'm just mentally exhausted and physically exhausted and um, I listen to that and I might reduce my training or I might um, just spend some time, some alone time doing something that's not taxing or stressing on the body or mind. And then the next day I'm feeling a lot more better for it. Um, yeah, so it's all about that balancing active work and life and training. Um, and I find, especially with shift work, so I try and organise my shifts so that my hardest sessions are on days where I don't have work, um, which makes a world of a difference. That way I'm not stressing about having to get get to work and this and that. And then my easier days um, I can um, fit during um, a shift because I don't have to stress too much about timing and went to work. So yeah, um, it's definitely possible. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I don't know how you do the night shifts. That would be so hard with training. <laughs> it's good that you've got flexibility in, in your approach to training as well. Cause I think that's a massive one, isn't it? Like if you're rigid and you were saying, Oh, I have to do this run. I have to do this this day. Um, it just wouldn't work with the, you know, how much you've got on. Absolutely. And yeah, you have to be flexible because we're not machines, we're humans. And it's the same thing with, as we were talking about, about our hormones fluctuating throughout the month. You know, if I give my um, athlete a certain session, um, I always emphasize with all my athletes, I was like, you know, if I give you something and on the day you're feeling absolutely rubbish, you're not feeling great, you can always do less and never more. It's really important to listen to your body don't force a session if you're not feeling up to it there's no point it's not good for you mentally or physically um and when you're tired you're tired for a reason your body needs more recovery and recovery is just as important not if not actually not just as important it's more important than the training that you put in um and you, yeah i think running for me is a form of self-care and when you're pushing your training and um, trying to fit in runs and stuff, it doesn't become self-care anymore um, and it becomes toxic. So it's really important to have that right balance. You have so much wisdom. <laughs> you, you absolutely do. It's like those sayings, those old school sayings, go hard or go home. It's like those sayings need to get smashed. Like get out no. of here. They don't, yeah, <laughs> they don't exist. I'd rather go home. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yes, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> go home and nap yes I love that <laughs> so um cool we're going to finish off with the last two quick fire questions now so um yeah don't have to go too deep but if you do that's totally cool as well um question number one which we always ask our uh, our, our guests what advice would you give your younger self so if you were to think of your 15 year old self what advice would you give her um I would probably tell her to trust the process and 
that things will get better even when they feel like they won't um, and to reach out for support as well and to talk to your family and friends um, when you're struggling because I think that's something that I struggled with at the time. I just kept it all to myself. Um, but, yeah, I think, yeah, just telling my younger self that things will get better and just to have hope. <laughs> I love that. And the last one is what is your purpose on Mother Earth? My purpose, I think, for me is just to contribute to this world in any way possible, in a positive way, to help others. Um, I believe that each hardship and each struggle that I went through um, has been a learning opportunity and has given me a lived experience so that I can help other people. Um, and when I say by helping others, it doesn't have to be an extreme thing. It might just be just the smallest of things like... Uh, volunteering or donating to a cause or just even opening the door for someone or um, helping someone who might be asking a question on the streets. You don't have to do a massive, massive um, task. Yeah, just do something for a person or do a good deed each day and um, help make the world a better place um, in any way possible. Yeah. Amazing. Well, you're 100 percent fulfilling your purpose you're such a giving beautiful kind warm soul and we are so so lucky to have you on the team and for this conversation today i know for a fact our listeners are going to have loved hearing your story and all of your wisdom that you shared so thank you so much for coming onto the pod today oh thank you so much lydia and esther for having me on really appreciate it Thank you. And thank you for everybody who joined us and listened to this conversation. If you want to get in touch, you can hit us up on Instagram at femi.co or head to our website at femi.co and we will tag Miriam into the show notes as well. So you can go along, give her a follow and follow her journey along to the Melbourne Marathon, which I know is her next event. But uh, yeah, thank you everybody. And we'll be back in your ears next week. Thanks. <laughs>